It is just five days until the elections, and there is tension in the air. The challenges we face as a community are massive, from wildfires to snowstorms, from drugs to housing, from infectious disease to a polarized discourse around them. We can only make it all work if we work together. Democracy is not necessarily about getting what you want, it's having the freedom to vote and participate. My guest today is John Dooley, a name you all know. He is running for mayor for the fifth time after serving four consecutive terms. And yet, most of us don't know who he really is. So let's get to know him. Hi, John. So you're a famous person in town, and you've been the mayor for four terms now. And you've been active in the community in many ways. And so many people know about you, which makes me wonder, maybe you feel that people don't know who you really are. And maybe you want to talk about the things that people don't know about you as a person and not just you as a public figure. Oh, my God. That's a tough question because I've been in public life now for around 20 years. So there's very little that people probably don't know about me. Um, well, both my wife and I have always been very engaged in the community. So you find us in, <laughs> in different places doing different things at times. You know, my wife was chair of the hospital foundation. We were both in the Rotary Club. I coached youth soccer for 15 years. I had children in soccer and hockey and baseball and drama, music, just all of the things you do with your family. We really enjoy hiking and we love golfing. My wife and I do a lot of golfing together. It's something we like to do together because to play nine holes of golf takes about two hours and it's a great opportunity for us to do something we love and do it together, just the two of us. And if you play 18 holes of golf, it takes four hours and that's four hours of time we have together. But yeah, so it's our hiking together is important. We do a lot of camping. We have a small little bowler trailer we use and it's pretty basic, but we love it. And we go camping a lot together. We have three children, mm-hmm. our son, Sean, Aaron, our daughter, Sheila, our daughter, they all live in Nelson. And between the three of them, we've got seven grandchildren. Wow. And so myself and Pat, we like to travel a lot. So we travel a bit into Europe. We go to Ireland quite often because I was born and raised there. Mm-hmm. And like yourself, I'm a new Canadian, Canadian citizen, obviously. Yeah. But I have four sisters still living in Ireland and the numerous nieces and nephews that I love to see. And being from a large Catholic family, we have, everybody's got a large family. So <laughs> the relatives, cousins and uncles and so on, or it's an endless litany of doulies and, uh, Mm-hmm. Back and spend time with them, yeah. Right. So you are the most experienced person in Nelson's politics, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. That's correct. Okay. So what can you share from being into politics for so long? What have you learned about yourself through those years? Well, first of all, I think it came naturally to me to be involved in local government with my wife and I am. I was been involved in the community in one form or another. We we both raised in similar backgrounds where, you know, it was in, community was very important. Like where I was raised in Ireland, the simple facts were that people could not exist on their own. Um, you know, our <clears throat> farmers all worked hand in hand to bring each other's crops in. Our communities were small. Our credit union was our way to have a bank. We were raised in relative meager means and 
consequently, you know, the big banks will have never even looked at you <laughs> yeah. to um, loan your money, et cetera. So we developed our own credit unions, our own ways of supporting and helping each other as a village. Right. And a uh -huh. farming community. Same thing applied to my wife. So that's part of who we are. We believe that the community just doesn't exist only on the leadership of the mayor. It's important, but Having said that, all of the community groups that we have in Nelson, which are numerous, make our community a better place to live. And so it came naturally for me to work with community groups and help them realize their passions and dreams and make our community a better place to live. And, but, you know, through that process of being a counselor and then being a mayor, you know, you learn every day as you go forward. And, you know, I learned how to work as a young person and I learned how to work and what it meant to navigate and work with other people. And so everybody was able to achieve their own goals. You know, you don't build a community by only pushing your agenda forward as an individual. You build a community by working with the collective and the community, uh, helping them attain their goals and making our place a better place to live for everybody. And is that something that came naturally to you or also passed on from your parents? Yeah, I grew up in an environment where working together was critical. And, you know, that really has really helped me as a mayor because I've been a mayor now for four terms and I'll hopefully be mayor for a fifth term. Mm -hmm. Every single council that I was mayor of and chair of were different. Mm -hmm. And so my responsibility was to adjust to the people around the table and recognize that the community sent these people forward to represent them. And so I had to figure out ways as the mayor to chair meetings and be able to have each one of those councillors that were elected by the people, for one reason or another, be able to achieve their goals and to achieve the goals of the people that put them in there. But when you look at six people uh, that are elected, many of them might have similar goals, but you know they all have different ones as well. And that is reflective of what the community's desires are. Mm -hmm. So it's my role and responsibility to help them bring those ideas and suggestions forward and hopefully we can move them forward through their term in local government. Yeah. The mayor job, not job of, some people think the mayor, well, the mayor does have a lot of power. There's no question. But I've never looked at it from that perspective. I've always looked at it from my job is to bring people together, help them do good things for the community. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time for that to happen. But unless you're able to build that trust and cooperation, it's really difficult to move an agenda of any kind forward. Yes. So what was different? You said it was different between each time you've been a mayor. What was the difference? Well, you know, people came with different agendas. They felt that they were elected for a certain reason. Mm. You know, as an example, the last council, we probably had four members of council, I would say, that were elected on climate, on yes. what, what are you going to do about climate? Well, the reality of the situation is that's what the community asks for. And it's my responsibility as mayor to figure out a way to help move that agenda forward. Yeah. And we did. Yes. But having said that, we have been working on that agenda for many, many years. Many years. Now, was it ramped up during the last term? Absolutely. As an example, Nelson was, was founded on green energy. Mm -hmm. Hydro. We, like, we built the first dam on the Kootenai River here, city of Nelson, and harvest the uh, power of hydro. 
and uh, we had clean green power moving our transit trolleys, lighting our homes, driving our industry when nobody else in British Columbia even had lights. Yeah. So we had a platform to work from. We have that goose that laid the golden egg of Nelson Hydro that allowed us that platform to move our whole green agenda forward. And that's been there for many, many years. And I was fortunate enough to be able to step on that foundation and continue to carry it. In 2010, I was the second mayor in British Columbia to sign on to Climate Action Charter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I did that because it was the right thing to do. And I knew that through our history that we could drive that climate agenda, and we have. I mean, we had the EcoSafe program 10 years ago. Yeah. We've been working on you know, reducing our carbon footprint for 50 years, for 100 years. And we've been working diligently for since 2010 on that file. In fact, I was appointed to a couple of different committees in the province to help move that agenda forward back then. Yeah, so things are moving in the right direction from your perspective? Oh, oh no question. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely, we're well ahead of the curve. You know, we're, we've been cited across Canada for the good work we've been doing. We, we have a department. We have a whole department at the city of Nelson dedicated to the climate file, to Nelson Next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and believe it or not, that's funded totally by grants from the province and the federal government. Right. And um, I don't believe at this point in time, now I may be wrong, but I highly doubt there's another local government of our size anywhere in Canada that has a whole department committed to reducing our carbon footprint, to fighting climate change, to making our community more resilient to wildfire, flood events, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What is your feeling about climate change? Are you afraid of it? When is the moment that you kind of connect with this idea? Oh, you know what? I, I, connected, I connected with the impacts of uh, the Industrial Revolution. Was, it first, was the first, uh, probably not the first, but the, the beginning of what we used to call smog. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, now we know what smog is, mm. you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's a fallout from, you know, excessive use of fossil fuels. Yeah. Um, as an example, I, being raised in Ireland, it was very evident, you know, our home was heated with, in our case, turf and then coal. You know, we step up from turf was coal <laughs> and now we know the damage the coal did. And that was evidence on the buildings around us, you know, it created this sort of suit we called it suit right it was like a black mm. sort of uh, um film that was on every building in europe yeah in, yeah. in ireland like all our beautiful buildings were all covered with this sort of smog and you can see over the years how uh, even though we're still on fossil fuels but they're maybe they're not producing the same type of smog that's quite as visible and you know you don't see it as much in your buildings anymore but you know, we were introduced to that as, as children. People were hooping call were were dying with lung disease for God's sake when I was a when I was a youngster, and that was directly connected to the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. And so we were well aware of the impacts of when I was a kid. And it wasn't a big shift for me to understand it. Acid rain was the next thing we talked about, and uh, the next thing you know, we're talking now about carbon emissions. So this conversation has been going on for a long time. But getting involved in local governments, of course, ramped all that up because then we found out 
that as an example, wildfire. Well, I mean, that's a responsibility. We have to deal with that. We have no option but to deal with somehow mitigating the potential impact of wildfire. Nelson's been identified as one of the most extreme wildfire areas in all of British Columbia, the city of Nelson's, at one of the high-risk communities. Yep. And we started 15 years ago to operate our water and sewer systems to be able to accommodate, you know, the less water, heavier rainfall, finding ways that we weren't overwhelming our sewage treatment plant because of, you know, these heat domes, you know, they just overwhelm our water. Our pipes, we bust the manhole lids off and they overwhelm our sewage treatment plant. So we've been working towards mitigation and adaptation for a long time because we have, we have no choice. That's a responsibility of local government to do that. So we're looking at what is the potential uh, as an example for the loss of our water system, not only through wildfire, but potentially a slide or a rain event or so on. So we're backing that up with other systems. Do we want to lose it? No, we don't. And we're, we're going to make sure that we protect it to the best of our ability. Please share this podcast on social media and messaging apps. This selection will influence how much taxes we pay and what they're used for. It will determine how we deal with the housing crisis, environmental emergencies, and support lower-income families. The link is nelson2022.ca. Please share it now and come back for the rest of the conversation. You know, when I listen to you talk and hearing the depths and the width of your knowledge and how you remember everything that happened and what has changed and what needs to be changed and, and all of that things, it, it makes me wonder, how is it for you to have new politicians coming forward? And what is your relationship with the younger generation coming to politics? Well, there's two questions there. One is, uh, when you get new people, what happens? Well, there's a big learning curve. I can assure you there's a learning curve and it is deep and it's fast and you have to do your homework. You have to be committed. And, uh, you know, I've been long enough in local government now that I've seen those that have come into local government that haven't been committed and they have not been effective. Mm -hmm. And if people are putting their name forward to one for city council or mayor, they better know that this is a, a, a job that needs commitment, it needs passion, and it needs people to show up. So that's the first thing I would, I would say. As far as new people coming in, I think it's fantastic. You know, it's good. Uh, I've seen people come to the table with new ideas and they stimulated conversation. Having said that, um, come to the table with, with a narrow focus is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Then the learning curve is steeper. It takes longer. And for the most part, it takes a long time to adjust to the fact that your idea will not be the only idea on the table, <laughs> if you know what I mean, right? So new people come forward and have their learning process about local politics and about themselves. How do you help them to make the learning curve faster? And also, would you do something different this time around to make the meetings and the team building even better? Well, I've, I've done that. I mean, that's about leadership. That's about understanding community. That's about understanding cooperation. That's about understanding building relationships. That's about building the number one thing that you need to advance any cause, and that's trust. And I'm good at yeah. I'm good at that. <laughs> yeah. I've proven that over my four terms that I can do that. 
How do you build trust? Do you have a formula for that? Oh, openness. You have openness. to be open with people. You have to always be trustworthy. You can't be trying to undermine people. You have to be, you have to sit down and be straightforward with people, talk with them, understand them. I take pride in that. I take pride in learning what people stand for, what they want to accomplish, what they do as a family, you know, how they integrate into the community. And I've never shied away from the hard conversations with people. Yeah. And the other thing, and I think, you know, people tend to have this idea, I know who this person is. Mm-hmm. And that's the first mistake people make. They think they know who John Dooley is, but they don't. Yeah. Not until you work with the person, not until you sit down with them, not until you have a meal with that person, not yeah. until you understand what they're made up of, do you really know them. And, you know, it's ironic because during political campaigns, people select sides and they form images of the person that they're running with or against. Yeah. Uh, and uh, believe me, that's a mistake. I'm 100% agree with you on that. And I was exploring how people talk about hot topics and recorded the Effective Conversation podcast for that reason. We tend to judge each other long before we have sufficient information about each other. So in that note, what people misunderstand about you, how do they misjudge you as a person, as a leader? Um, I think there's some people that thinks, tend to think of me as being, um, you know, what's kind of termed nowadays for some unknown reason, like a, a, an old white male. And, you know, people seem to tie that to some politician that's on the right. I've never been on the right. I mean, my whole upbringing business has been on the left, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my whole family have been uh, socialists their whole lives. Yeah. Um, you know, I was raised in a community where our life was built around cooperation, co-ops, and working together and you know, social values. So it's kind of ironic that, you know, you get painted into that corner. And uh, I don't think people understand that. And, you know, you and I, you and I are no different, really, because you and I were both raised in an environment that if you don't have some understanding of your neighbor, you're going to be fighting with them. Yeah. So people see you as a white old man in politics and assume that you are conservative and on the right. And the picture is complete in their mind. And so they don't question that and don't try to get to know you or to learn more about you. I, I do believe that you're exactly, yeah. And, uh, How does it look like? Do you get nasty emails? Oh, yeah. do I get different people saying different things to me? Absolutely. I mean, I've heard everything over the years. I've been <laughs> vilified, vilified in so many ways. You, I, I, don't, I don't even like to go there. Okay. You know, I have this habit, and I probably could find some of the papers right here in my office um, when I'm under pressure from people and in different situations. I... You know, I draw these little happy faces of my family, my wife and my son, my two daughters, and all of my grandchildren. And I think, you know, that's, there's my life right there. All those people love me and they support me. And this person that's beaten up on me now doesn't fit in that group. That's beautiful. Straight to the heart. 
What do you learn from that experience? Have you developed strategies on how to serve better under dehumanizing situations like this? Well, again, I'll go back to how you and I are from two different cultures, but we're almost, you and I could join hands today and tell the very same story. When you're raised with hand grenades and bullets, everything else is easy. And um, we were both raised in, in communities that were in conflict, and everybody found a way to to work and live in that environment somehow. And uh, I haven't seen anything thrown at me in my role as mayor or as a city councillor that was worse than that. And, you know, that's my barometer. Mm. And, um, you know, when that's your barometer, um, like I say, everything else is easy. Thank you for listening. My name is Yael Feiner, and that was John Dooley. Next, we're going to talk with Ansley Hastings. I understand the perspective of being working class and that your livelihood is on the line, but I think that the way that we see the earth as something to take from and consume without putting back is a problem, and the old way of doing things just doesn't work anymore, and we don't have enough time to even really debate these things. We've seen the wildfires, we've seen floods, droughts, all the things that are happening around us, and we need to do something different. The way that we're doing things isn't working. And I think the people that are throwing demonstrators in jail for standing up for these things are hanging on desperately to that old world and that old way of doing things. And it's time to just throw that, throw those ideas out and move on to the next solution. Please subscribe to this podcast and listen to the other candidates. See you next time.